You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish, and we are in the middle of the doldrums of winter as the rain pounds on the top of my little man shed here. And uh, it rains so much today that my chicken coop has big puddles in it, and the chickens are uh, mad about it, and I don't know what to tell them. When I let them out, they don't want to get rained on, so they come stand right by the back door and poop all over the area where you step out uh, into the backyard. So I, you know, I can't let them out for too long. So uh, that's just what winter is. We're just stuck in the middle of it, you know, trying to push our way through. We had some interesting things develop, just weather and water wise, based off of this front that came through and uh, got really cold. It's taken a while for the water temperature to warm back up. So Chris and I went out against all odds last Thursday, and when we launched the boat, uh, water temperature was 44 degrees. That's bad. That's not good at all. So what we did, we had a calm morning. It was foggy but no wind. So we go out and we have plans to hunt deep water. But what happened is we're getting out to this spot and they're dredging all over Jones Bay and that's the way I got to go out to get to the intercoastal, right? So get out to the intercoastal and there's dredge pipe. And I it's too foggy for me to tell if they've laid the dredge pipe across the channel, which I wouldn't think they would do. But for two reasons, I didn't know exactly where the dredge pipe was laid because they don't keep their markers close enough together. And three, I wanted to uh, check out this, the edge of this intercoastal. And as uh, soon as I turned the corner up into shallow water, I spooked two redfish, which was a shock because I'm like, it's too cold for those redfish to be up here. But I crawled on, I shut the motor down and crawled on the platform and just started pushing over this flat. And the water was crystal clear. And the conditions, other than the water temperature, were perfect. And we pushed along that flat longer than we should have. Did not see one other redfish. Fell off into some deeper water, a deeper cut, uh, you know, six to eight feet. Uh, fished some drop-offs, some shell ledges, did not get a bite, not even a nibble. And then we moved and went to the deepest area, the deepest hole in the bay that I know about. We fished that hole for a little bit, nothing. Then we moved back over and uh, and fished a bayou with a shallow flat next to it. We fished both the bayou and the flat. But what we did before that is I took the long way around and we had just barely enough tide for me to run the backwaters. And so I took off getting to where I needed to get through the back door and 
uh, when we were coming up on some uh, on an area that was uh, just deep enough to fish, but we didn't expect it to see any fish there. Spooked two redfish, and then the third redfish that we spooked. Uh, I shut the motor down right as we spooked him, and I watched that fish until his his wake stopped. And he was in shallow enough water to where when his wake stopped, I know that either he slowed down or he stopped completely. And I kept my eyes on that area, pulled over to it, and that fish was sitting uh, perfectly still, you know, on the bottom. Chris threw his paddle tail in front of that fish four times, maybe five. And did all the right things. The progression that I normally go through and Chris did something very similar is like you rip it and cross their face at a medium tempo uh, first. And if you don't get a hit, then you run it across their face and you drop it right in front of them. Don't get a hit. You bounce it slowly in front of them. And then maybe the last one is you, you know, you either slow roll it or you uh, slow roll it, stop it, let it fall, and just twitch, twitch. One of those combinations will make one of the will make a redfish eat most of the time. This redfish was not interested. Moved up a little farther. Redfish coming straight at the boat. Didn't see him in time. He was moving pretty good. Didn't get a good cast on him. Um, saw two more redfish. Uh, did not, uh, maybe I think we got a good look at one of them and, uh, that fish didn't want to eat either. And so, um, we called it a day and went and had a beer and a burger at Lewis's bait camp and just chalked it up to the fact that I'm not a deep water guy. Uh, I don't know how to target them in deep water. Like you, like someone who's been doing it for a while, because, those fish will uh, get really thick in numbers in one particular spot when it gets cold like that. They'll go deep. They'll they'll hang onto some structure, and uh, it's probably the case that I just haven't I just haven't bounced around the structure, the deep water structure enough to find them. Because plenty of times I'll go pull a flat. If they're not there, I'll go pull another two or three or four flats in the morning to go find them. Well, deep water, I'm kind of like, oh, we tried two deep water spots and they're not here. That's enough for me. And so uh, there was word that uh, a guy down the way in chocolate uh, just absolutely slayed them. And fish in deep water seemed to have found them uh, on deep water structure just kind of stacked up. So uh, it's January. And I've had two skunks, and all of 2023, I had two skunks. So I've met my quota for the year. No more skunks allowed. Uh, I will, I will grind it out to keep that from happening again. So, but we found fish, uh, and that was why I didn't really take it all that hard because we found some fish and we just didn't get them to eat. I mean, that that fish. Uh, Either either of those two or three fish that we got a good look at, if they had hammered Chris's bait, it would be a different story, right? So that's what it is. But they're just, 44 degrees is too cold to be in shallow water for those fish. 
Some guys will say they adjust, and they do adjust. You can find them in 50-degree water, 51, 52, uh, up shallow. I do it all the time. But 50, or sorry, 48 and below, mm, they're deep. Nine times out of 10. The ones that we that we did find that weren't, they were in a coma. So that's that. Uh, this time of year, uh, I, mean, I mentioned water temperature warming up slowly. It is just now. So today is Tuesday. This will air on Thursday. It's Tuesday night right now when I'm recording this. And the air temperature has gotten up into the 60s, but the water temperature is at 52.9. So hasn't warmed up quite as much as I thought it might have, but we've been overcast. We've had rain. Both of those things will keep that water temperature down a little bit lower. I don't expect it to spike up in any kind of way. Uh, through this week, we have rain all the way through Thursday. I, Paul and I are get, planning on getting out with a buddy of, uh, of his from, uh, I think he's from Nebraska. I may have that wrong, but uh, it's Brad, official Brad before. We had a great time. Uh, he's coming back down, and we're going to see if we can't uh, repeat what we did last time. So hoping that we don't get too wet on Thursday and then uh, got a trip on Friday with uh, my buddy Tim. Uh, he has a Sabine skiff on order, and uh, he wants to get a good feel of the boat. So we're going out going to see what it can do. He's going to hop up on that platform back there and uh, get a good old-fashioned lesson in polling. Uh, while I might just get to stand on the front and throw uh, a fly or a paddle tail or whatever. So going to do that on Friday if the weather allows. And what we're going to be doing and what I think you should be doing if you're going to go out uh, in this 52 to 53 degree water temperature, overcast, cloudy, a uh, little bit of rain. The go-to for me has been, uh, I say go-to for me as if I'm just hammering the fish. I was hammering the fish two weeks ago, um, but that cold snap did me in. But uh, right now, we talked about how the marsh has become a no man's uh, land the last couple episodes. When you have rain like this, it makes it even more so uh, because you can still go up into the marsh this time of year if there's water. The water has come up, uh, so there's plenty of water in the marsh right now. We've had an influx of tide. It got over two feet. I was talking to Chris about that today. Uh, I look at the water chart, the MLLW. I look at it probably three times a day, whether I'm fishing or not, so I keep tabs on what uh, on what it's doing. And I had looked at it earlier in the day. It was almost at two and I was still climbing. And then when Chris sent it to me in the afternoon, it was 1.65 or something like that. And uh, so plenty of water. Uh, that's not going to be the problem. The problem is that you're going to have a lot of freshwater runoff in the back of the marshes. And all those mullet and all the little things that were uh, that were back there and the fish were feeding on in December and the first part of January... They're gone. They've moved out. They've found a more comfortable home. And the redfish went with them. So don't let the water coming up fool you and then go way back to the back 40 and uh, and fish it uh, as hard as you can. Now, if you want to go side cast and you got clear conditions and sun and you want to just go look for fish, uh, go. 
go back there and see if you can find some. But I think you're, I think you'll probably find a few, but I think the high numbers of fish are going to be out in main bay structure. We talked about main bay structure last time. It's a grass flat. It's a, uh, pig-eared, what I call a pig-eared shell flat, where you have sand mixed with these little shell clumps. You find the flat that looks like that and it's near deep water, that's a great opportunity to find redfish. Uh, if you find shell reefs that get submerged and then uncovered, submerged and then uncovered, uh, those are great areas to hunt for redfish. You have nice clear water. Uh, if you can get some shielding from the wind, Uh, But don't just go back over and over to those places. Go find other areas that look like that. That's how you become more diverse and you get better at doing this this time of year because uh, there's a place I found that I really love and I've been fishing it. I fished it three or four times, five times. And then now I'm like, all right, I'm going somewhere else because I know other places that are like that. And I just need to go explore those places. And uh, so that's the ticket now. The title of this episode, Nature's uh, Chum, that's what we're going to talk about and has to do with the oyster reefs that get submerged and then uncovered. I was having a beer with uh, my new buddy, Mark. So Mark is a listener of the podcast. He came out to the CCA event that Drew and I spoke at, and it was one of those things where... uh, me and Mark were trying to have a conversation, but just because of the nature of the event, uh, it got interrupted over and over again. People kept coming up and asking, uh, asking me to do something or, or asking questions or whatever. I felt really bad because uh, we—I don't think we ever finished any part of our conversation. So I said, "Hey, man, we should go—we should go have a beer." And uh, Mark hit me up and said, "Hey, uh, you know, how about that beer?" And I said, "Yep, let's go do it." So we went and had a beer. We don't live too far from each other, and. Uh, we started talking about this and I started telling him about it and I realized I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast and it's not earth shattering news. Uh, lots of you uh, will know about this, but I think it's worth talking about because it's so important to uh, fishing in shallow water this time of year. Fish are not just going to be up in the shallows for the heck of it. They got to have a reason. And so that's one of the reasons why your feeding patterns, your major and minor, are so much more important this time of year because it's more comfortable for those fish in deep water. Unless you got a really pretty sunny day, then uh, maybe, you know, they will come up there and sun on the flats. But if you're dealing with some overcast conditions, why would a fish come up shallow? They're coming up there to eat. And so, Timing is everything. One of the one of the better ways to uh, to time the shell reef thing is not not just off the major and minor, but if you're paying attention to the tide, uh, like I do, and you know at what level the tide needs to be at, whether it's an incoming or an outgoing, to uh, to cover up a reef, that's a good time to be there. So what I mean by that is. We had a bunch of low water, right? Tide fell out. Northwest wind blew. Cold front came in. It left the water low for a good while. Well, all the oyster reefs, little pocket reefs that we call them, like they're 
They're no bigger than eight to 10 feet in diameter. Some of them are three feet in diameter. Uh, some of them are four feet wide and 30 feet long. It's a more of a spool bank. Um, those reefs, when they get uncovered, all of the little plankton and microorganisms that were living on top of that reef die. The other thing that happens is the birds come and sit on those reefs and they poop all over the top of those reefs. Well, what do the birds eat? The birds eat fish and crabs and all that kind of stuff, right? And all of those oils secrete out when they poop on the reef. And so when the water comes back up, if you can catch it when that water has just been up there for, you know, an hour or two, and you can coincide with a major or a minor, you're going to find fish close to those reefs because all of those oils and all of the, the scent of all the dead stuff that died on top of that reef comes alive in that water. And the more reefs that are around that had that happen, the better. I'll tell you a story that I told Mark while we were sitting there. I was on a trip with another Mark, um, uh, Mark Dowden, and it was... If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I'm getting my trips mixed up, but this could be the crappy trip. Uh, if you haven't heard the crappy trip episode, I actually don't think it's on the Redfish Network. Um, I may repost it as a bonus episode on the Redfish Network. It's on my old uh, my old page before I joined the network. So if you haven't heard of the crappy trip episode, um, I'm not going to ruin it for you. You should you should go listen to it. I'll bonus post it. But it, I think it was that trip. So the trip was going uh, not well, shall we say. And then uh, Mark and I and his, uh, his son were fishing uh, this lake and a drain out by the lake. And uh, Mark had a fish on, came unbuttoned. Um, due to what I believed was a faulty knot that I tied, but it just adds insult to injury. And so really feeling uh, like I have screwed up on that trip. Well, there's an oyster reef at one end of the lake. And I, even if I don't fish the area, I usually am near enough to, and I always look in to this place and see if that reef is covered or not. Now it's a, it's a decent sized reef. And that day it was covered the day before it was not covered. And so I knew that, uh, I had a reef that had just freshly been covered with water. So as we were pulling out of that lake, uh, I told Mark, I said, Hey, throw right on top of that reef. There's a reef right there. It's just barely covered with water. Throw right on top of that reef give it a second. There's going to be a big redfish hanging out near that reef. He threw out three seconds later, 28 and a half inch redfish. Uh, and then, you know, we had lost the one and there were three or four redfish caught that morning. And so, uh, that kind of was the exclamation point at the end of the trip there. And it was all based around the fact that when those reefs get covered, they invite fish in to feed off of the dead stuff that's that's died on top of them and all the oils and all the things that are getting dispersed into that water. And, uh, it's one of the reasons why redfish like ground, 
that was not covered um, previously. Like if you find a place that got dumped out by the tide, I'm not talking about right now in the winter, but more so in the fall, the summer months, you have a, a, a decent tide dump and the water comes back in. Redfish are going right back out in there. And they're going to go hunt around and all that ground that just got water back on top of it because they know that that tide stranded stuff, they're going to go hunt for all the dead stuff up there. So uh, that's a, just a little trick. If you time it just right, you can really have lots of luck in those areas. I've had some, uh, some really good days. And uh, even if those reefs have been covered for a while, or even if they get back uncovered, you can look around and go, where's the nearest structure those fish are going to go to and go fish that. And you'll find that a lot of times these fish aren't traveling really huge distances uh, every day this time of year because it's colder. The fish don't want to expend an enormous amount of energy if they don't have to. So, uh, you know, in the fall and in like the spring, you might see a redfish go a long way, but again, it depends on what's what's there to eat, right? Uh, if you're talking about the the dead zone between the uh, like the spring starting and the and the shrimp hatching, you know that first two weeks of March is what it usually is. Redfish will travel. You'll find them one place, and you there'll be a ghost town. And you'll have to pick up and run a long ways to go find them again uh, or go get on a group of different fish or something. So, uh, but when there's a ton of shrimp back there, they ain't going far. They're not leaving the shrimp. Uh, It's just going to, it's what they love to eat the most. So use that to your advantage. It also uh, matters. And I feel, I feel kind of bad for, uh, for my buddy Mark because this conversation was basically had with him over beers and, uh, and now he's having to listen to it on the podcast. But uh, one mistake I see people make, and when I say people, I mean me. I, I've made this mistake uh, a time or two. So you go out there and you want to check the water level to get into a back lake or you want to check the water level to get uh, to, to see how high it needs to be to cover a particular reef, Okay. If you go out there and you check the, the the nearest, you know, weather station reading, I use the Galveston Rail Bridge. If I check that MLLW reading and it is at a foot, 1.0, I would be mistaken if I were to go, okay, so whenever it's at a foot, this reef is barely covered with water. No, you have to look at whether it's an incoming tide or an outgoing tide. Because if it's an incoming tide, the water hits the bridge gauge first. So the reading at the bridge will be higher than what you're actually experiencing inland of the bridge. Let me say that again. On an incoming tide, the water hits the bridge gauge first as it comes in, which means the level at the bridge is going to be higher than wherever you're fishing inland of the bridge. If you're fishing, you know, uh, any marsh up along that way or any area of the main West Bay, then you're experiencing a lower tide than what the bridge is experiencing if you have an incoming. 
It is the opposite if you have an outgoing. If you have an outgoing, the water's already under your boat and it's leaving. Okay? So the reading at the bridge is going to be lower than what is actually under your boat. I have found that in Galveston, West Bay, and it's similar in others, uh, I'll give you an example. If it's an incoming tide and it's a foot reading at the bridge, if I am uh, two miles, three miles from the bridge, then I'm probably going to be at a point eight. Uh, a little further inland, I'm at a point seven, point six. Okay, it can be that much. Uh, it can be usually about an hour, hour and a half worth of tide. Okay, so on the inverse, if it's reading a foot at the bridge and it's an outgoing, I'm probably sitting at one point two, one point three. That's how I gauge it. That's what you have to remember because. If you don't do that quick math in your head, then you'll come back at a foot reading expecting it to be on at that reef and the water is, you got, you know, three or four inches of reef poking out and you're like, what the heck? Well, it's because you didn't take the tide into account. And so learn to use that to your advantage and you can get really good at predicting the fish when they're feeding shallow. I told this story a long time ago, but I'll, I'll, I'll quickly reference it. There was about a three-week stretch where I fished twice a week, right? So uh, two, four, six. It was six trips where I had an outgoing tide every morning, and I knew that when the tide got the tide reading got to a foot, that there was a back lake that the redfish were hunting in in the early morning hours and that they were going to come out of that back lake when the tide got to a foot. I discovered it by accident, just trying, just being in the right place at the right time and had that school of fish and we caught, we caught a couple of fish off that school and then let, let them go. And I checked it again the very next day and the same thing happened. Now, don't, don't hear me. Don't hear me wrong. I did not go back to the same place at the same time. Forget about the clock. I went back when the tide got to a foot. So as it was falling, wherever I was, when when the bridge hit like 1.3 on the outgoing, I would pick up and run. And some mornings it was 9.45 and then other mornings it was 11.30 noon. Uh, I would pick up and run to that spot giving myself enough time to pull the couple hundred yards I needed to pull that we were probably going to see fish in those couple hundred yards as well. And I had some killer days because every day of those six trips, when the tide got to a foot, I met that school of redfish at the mouth of that lake in the same spot. It was like Groundhog's Day, all six of those trips because I timed it with the tide and not the clock. And I paid attention to the fact that it was outgoing instead of incoming. Because if you if you change that around, you got an incoming tide and it's at a foot and you show up there and go, well, where are they? They're still up in that lake and they're, they're going to stay there. They're going to hunt there all day because the, uh, the tide is still coming in. Or they may not want to hunt that lake at all on an incoming tide. So 
those are the patterns that you start to put together. And then after those six trips were up and that three-week period ran its course, uh, the tide changed in a kind of a wonky way. The water levels changed. um, And we didn't really see a foot-level tide for a good while. The winds came from different areas. And so... I had to pick up and go find and go, you know, go through the mental exercise of what are the, where will the fish be now? What are my best areas to check based on the geographical knowledge I have, water temperature, wind, bait that's in the area? Where am I going to go find fish? And then you go find fish. And if I'm by myself and I do that and I go find fish early, I, I just leave them. And I go find another group of fish. And if I if I find them quick enough, I'll go find a third group of fish because I want options if I've got a customer on the boat. I don't want to show up and go, well, there's a group of fish here. And we caught fish here the last few days and I just don't know where they're at now. I mean, I'm going to go find multiple groups because I want to be versatile uh, when it comes time to, to put somebody on a fish or I have last minute condition changes and I need to adjust to that on the fly. So uh, the water level, to me, the water level and the tide flow is such a huge part of the picture. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that. Okay, let's get into our Bible tidbit for the week. Uh, I hope I don't upset anyone with this one. I think it can be a little bit of a sensitive subject for folks, uh, especially people that have lost loved ones as uh we all have you know it's part of it's part of life but one of the things that i see all the time is that uh when someone dies there is this thing that we do as humans where we say oh they got their wings or oh uh they are uh they've become one of the angels now we we kind of had this societal belief that when someone dies, they become an angel and, or the, the other one is that they're looking down on us and uh, don't hear me wrong. I'm not, I am not setting this truth before you in a, in a hope to uh, like upset you or rob you from some kind of comfort that you may feel in believing those things. Uh, what I'm here to tell you is that it's the truth is better than what we are, what society considers the norm. So the Bible does not does not say that we become angels or that we get uh, wings when we die. Angels, according to the totality of Scripture, are a separate race of people not not even people they're they're a different creature altogether they're not humans they have the likeness of man uh but uh in a lot of cases even that depending on what type of angel you're talking about you can get really deep in the weeds on that with the seraphim and cherubim and ophelim and all these things right there's a lot of different kind of things the bible calls them creatures and then calls some of them angels uh, Daniel chapter 10, I'm not going to read it to you because it's long, but Daniel chapter 10 is one of the best descriptions of what we would consider as an actual angel. Ezekiel has descriptions of a lot of 
creatures. Chapter one, it talks about uh, four creatures that are, I guess you could possibly say they're types of angels, but I don't want to put words into the Bible's mouth. And so I will not call them angels. Uh, I've just, there's been, you know, talk about among many theologians as to whether what is and what is not an angel. But what's important is that humans and angels are different creatures. Angels are not part. Are, uh, angels don't play the same role that we do in God's redemptive plan. Uh, Hebrews, again, I don't have this particular verse right in front of me, but Hebrews talks about uh, the mercy and the, the sacrificial grace of the gospel being something that angels long to look into. Like it's grace and mercy and the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. It's for people. It's for people that believe in Christ. Angels don't get that grace or that mercy. Okay. Angels are different beings altogether. And so when someone dies, their soul goes to heaven with Christ. Wherever Christ is, that's heaven. Okay. For the sake of this argument. Uh, Just like the thief on the cross, Christ turned to him after he confessed his belief in him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what Apostle Paul says in one of the uh, one of his epistles. So uh, when you die, your body is buried or cremated or whatever. Your spirit goes to heaven. And at a later date, when Christ comes back for his second returning, we will be transformed. Our bodies will be made new. We'll get a new spiritual body and we will live in that spiritual body in in that changed form for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth and all that stuff. Uh, There is not any reference in uh, scripture that would suggest that those that have gone on preceded us in death are looking down on us or watching over us. Uh, I will make a very small argument in this case. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this argument, but it's just a little, a little tiny piece of the puzzle. In heaven, in the presence of God Almighty, there are no tears. There are no disease. There's no sin. There's no suffering. If those that went before us in death are watching our suffering Uh, on this earth. They're watching those that they love suffer in sickness and in sin. That can produce a type of emotional suffering that I don't believe is present in, uh, in heaven. And so while it may feel sad to think that those that we love that have passed away aren't looking down on us, they, if they believed in Christ and went to heaven, are experiencing so much more, so many better things than what we are here. Paul says that uh, our present sufferings cannot compare to our future glory. So, it's a different realm. It's a different world. They're not 
looking down on us and we wouldn't want them to. We want to reunite with them uh, when we get to heaven and experience all that with them. But, you know, even though I could go into more examples of scripture, but because I don't have them cited in front of me, uh, I won't. But a cool thing for you to do is if you want to read about the creatures and get an idea of what, uh, of what the creatures look like and kind of a little more of a, a clue about what angels look like, a true depiction of an angel, you can read Daniel 10. That's more of the angel depiction. You can read Ezekiel chapter one. That is for the creatures that some people would call angels. Uh, the Bible Project has a very cool YouTube video on that. I haven't seen it in a long time. I have to look it up and find it, but it's easy to find. Bible Pro- Just YouTube search bar, Bible Project Angels. There you go. That's where you'll find it. Uh, I've gone a little long this week. I'm sorry about that, but uh, I hope that you have enjoyed it. I really appreciate you listening. We got some cool things coming up. Uh, what uh, What is cool that's coming up? Let's see. I am going down to the King Ranch. I'm actually waiting on final word to see if this is actually going to happen or not, but uh, I think it's going to happen. Uh, going down to the King Ranch in two, I think two or three weeks, me and Scott Knoll are going to go down to King Ranch and we're going to be huh, models in a photo shoot for the King Ranch Saddle Company. So if you know about the King Ranch, the actual ranch, same people that own that, uh, they do the leather for the the Ford trucks, the King Ranch trucks, right? That's that's part of the ranch enterprise. And they also have a storefront called King Ranch Saddle Company. It's like a marrying between, if you're familiar with the brands of Filson and like Saddleback Leather. If you married those two, that's kind of what you get with uh, with the King Ranch Saddle Company. So we're going to be uh, in, and I believe um, my kids don't know this yet, but I think one of the kids is going to be in the photo shoot uh, with us. So we're working out the details of that, but that'll be super cool. I'll let you know about that. Uh, my buddy Chris scored me a free ticket to the fishing show, and I was talking with Brian. I'm going to be hanging out uh, somewhat at the Sabine booth. I might even have some cards there. Uh, If you want to come by and say hi, I'm going to be there Wednesday on the 14th. So swing on by. I'm going to be helping Brian with anything he needs for a little bit and uh, hanging out and talking to folks. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if you're trying to, you know, be there at the same time, I'll probably get there depending on what Chris wants to do. I'm thinking 9 or 10 a.m., I'll probably be gone by 3 p.m. at at the latest. So come on by, say hi. I'll be at the Sabine booth. I'll be bouncing around and checking the whole thing out just like you guys are doing. But uh, if you want to talk booking trips or uh, something like that, come see me at the booth. If you want to just set up a time to come drive around in the Sabine and let's see what it can do, uh, I'm happy to take you out on a trip to do that. So I'll be there fishing show February 14th. If you want to book a trip with me, I've already had people start to reach out for the spring and I need you to do that sooner than later because the spring is filling up fast. 
We've got the Matagorda Island trip. It's going to take me out for uh, a week. And then after that, it's just boom, boom, boom. We, we, we're going to get some spots filled up soon. So go on my website, captainmattparish.com and claim your date. And other than that, uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's all I got. Go throw customs, uh, uh, Kevin's outside custom painted baits. Uh, you can pick them up at fish sticks or, um, go listen to salty yak podcast and the paddlers playbook and go get drew Turner to build you a custom rod, all that stuff. I'll see you guys next time. Take care. Some bright morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I die.